0: Hey, this is Taylor and welcome back to another message from Elevate, Retake. We are continuing on in our sermon series, Rethinking Church, and this week, Pastor Michael Gibson preached on parousia paralysis. A key text we will be taking a look at is found in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 9-12. through And it reads but we don't need to write to you about the importance of loving each other for god himself has taught you to love one another indeed you already show your love for all the believers throughout macedonia even so dear brothers and sisters we urge you to love them even more Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands just as we instructed you before. Then people who are not believers will respect the way you live and you will not need to depend on others. Your engaged question as you listen to this sermon is how do we live a life of love in the face of the pending advent?
1: Father in heaven, uh, we, we gather today to worship and come to you. And we also, we want to lift up the Duran family to you as they've experienced um, a, a tragic loss. May you come close in the midst of grief. May your Holy Spirit be present in their lives. May they have hope that one day all things will be made new. God, we're thankful that you walk with us through the valley of the shadow of death. And we're thankful that in a lot of ways, it's only a shadow. But that's hard when we're sitting, living, and walking underneath that shadow. So God, be with Kate, be with the Duran family, and everybody else that is is connected um, to the, the young man who lost his life. And God, we're looking forward to the day that you come back and you make all things new. And until then, we leave this situation and this time and this space in your hands. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Here's the question that was asked a moment ago. How do we live a life of love in the face of the pending Advent? How do we live lives of love knowing that Jesus is coming back? He's coming back soon, right? Right? It's in our name, Seventh-day Adventist. We look back to the first advent and look forward to the coming advent of Jesus Christ. But sometimes we can take our eyes off of what God has for us right in front of us. We're going to wrestle with that just a little bit today as we look at Perusia paralysis. Now, you might recognize the second word, but not the first word. And to pick that up, we've got to look at the context of 1 Thessalonians. We've been talking about it over and over again. Pastor Kugor mentioned it last week. Every single chapter in the book of 1 Thessalonians finishes with the parousia, the second coming of Jesus, this picture of Jesus coming back again. And for us, it gives us a lot of hope, right? We come to the end of every chapter. There's this final kind of climactic moment. Aha, Jesus is coming again. But maybe, just maybe, could that look at the second advent, the parousia, cause a sense or a living in paralysis? We're so focused on something to come that we miss what's right in front of us. Today we're going to look at how we live that loving life in the face of the second advent. And you bet the Thessalonians believed in the second coming of Jesus, But there might have been something that caused them to be distracted. I remember uh, a few years ago, and when I was uh, a little bit shorter, there was one particular thing that I really, really wanted for Christmas. The iPod Touch had just come out. All my friends had it, and I thought, man, it'd be really cool to have an iPod Touch. And so, you know how you nonchalantly, every time Christmas comes around, maybe you went to your parents, you said, Mom, Dad, you know, I, I've been thinking, you know, I've just, I've just been thinking, you know, not too seriously about it, but it might be cool if I could have or I could get, you know, X, Y, Z. And for me, it was that iPod Touch. And I remember it was Christmas break, and uh, I spent... A lot of my time researching, I knew exactly which one I wanted, what color it was going to be, uh, how much memory was going to be on it. I knew exactly what apps I was going to install on it. I mean, I had, I had the list down. Some of you resonate with this. Or am I, I'm crazy, right? It's just me? Okay, thanks. Yeah, it's just me. All right. I'll, uh, I'll deal with that later. But I told my parents, I was like, this is it. This is it. And I remember that Christmas, and the only thing that sticks out in my mind is that I did, in fact, not receive that iPod Touch. Don't remember anything. yeah, oh right, yeah, thank you, thank you, I appreciate that. <laughs> I don't remember anything else. The only thing I remember that year was that I didn't get it. I texted my dad yesterday, I was like, hey, do you remember that Christmas that you didn't give me the iPod Touch? And he's like, no, but that was a good thing, right? And I was like... Yes, actually it was. It was a good thing. I didn't need it. I thought I needed it, but I didn't need it. But thinking back and looking at the, the text that we're going to be diving into today, there was something that Christmas that caused me to miss out on having other memories. Because I'm sure we sang the Christmas carols. We gathered around, the we, were, we read the, the Christmas story and we, we celebrated the birth of Jesus and, and family and community and together, but I don't remember any of it. All I remember is I didn't get what I asked for. And could it be that the second coming could become to us like the iPod touch became to me many, many moons ago? That we could be so focused on it. We could say, yes, next, whenever the next date is, Jesus is coming. That we're so focused on that that we miss out on the lives that Jesus has called us to live Today. Don't get me wrong. I 100% believe in the second coming of Jesus. I am looking forward to that day as much as you are. But I had to wrestle this week with how we hold tomorrow and today in both hands, and we mix in the past there as well, and how our hope for the future perhaps balances out our work in the present, and our remembrance of the past enables us to make better decisions as we move forward. So today we pick up our passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9. I'll give you a moment to turn there. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. Whatever you've got in front of you is fantastic. It's on the screen for those of you here and watching at home. By the way, those of you watching at home, super glad you're here. Super glad you're here. Here we go. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9. But we do not we don't need to write to you about the importance of loving each other, for God himself has taught you to love one another. So imagine everything that Paul, Silas, and Timothy have written to the first, the, the, the group of the first Thessalonians, uh, the Thessalonians, there weren't ones and twos, leave that one aside. To the Thessalonians, he says, there's one thing that we don't need to write to you about, and that's about your love for each other. The Thessalonian people were a loving people. They were a loving church. Paul says, Silas says, Timothy says, we, we don't need to write to you about it. And in very poetic style, he says, we don't need to write to you about it, but we're gonna write to you about it because there's, you know, you've got a lot of it good, but there's just a little bit that you need help on. And here's the thing about the love that the Thessalonians had for one of another. one another. It was so real and raw and authentic that it caused Paul, Silas, and Timothy not to say, you know, you read from scripture and you've got this love. Oh yeah, you're just, you're just a really loving people. It says, no, for God himself has taught you to love one another. There's a sense in this passage that, yeah, Jesus, the Messiah, the one who came, perhaps could have influenced them. Yes, God writing through scripture could have been a part of their understanding of love, but there's this sense that the Holy Spirit has come beside this people group and has taught them, has shown them the way to walk in love. And I don't know about you, but that's something that I can hold on to. That God himself might teach me something. God can use scripture, he can use people around us, but to think about the Holy Spirit being involved and active and present in our lives. There's, I mean, it, it's good to be with y'all, but there's nothing better than to be led by the Holy Spirit. I'm thankful that I was led by the Holy Spirit to come here, right? And this is kind of the theme of Scripture. The overarching narrative is that God wants to be personally involved with his people. He wants to be personally involved with you and with me. We see that in Isaiah chapter 54 verse 13. I will teach all your children and they will enjoy great peace. God promises that he will teach his people. And the thought continues in Jeremiah 31, verses 33-34. I will put my instructions deep within them. I will write them on their heart. I will be their God and they will be my people. They will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, because I, the Lord, am the one who's teaching them. God's covenant for his people is a very personal covenant. A covenant that says, we're in this together, and I'm gonna be walking beside you each and every step of the way. It's not enough to have a, a set of good writings sitting on our shelves that we open occasionally or, or come to church and read together. That's that's good. But to think about God's love and God's law and the ways of Jesus being written on our hearts to the fact that we don't even have to think about being loving, that we don't even have to think about being children of God. It's part of our identity. In the same way that we don't have to maybe think about walking in the door today, or you didn't have to think about trusting the pew that you sat on, you just became very aware that you have complete and utter trust in the thing that's holding you that you're sitting on today. Imagine a life lived where God is working through you, writing his law and his words and his teaching on your heart. And that's extended to us. And that's what Paul, Silas, and Timothy point out for this group, that God has taught you. It's on your heart. It's deep down inside of you to the fact that their love for one another is going beyond just the Thessalonian church. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 10 puts it this way. Indeed, you already show love for all the believers throughout Macedonia. Even so, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you to love them even more. As I was wrestling through even just a month and a half ago about what are we going to call this teaching series that we're in right now, I ended up landing on Rethinking Church, but that idea of even more was a front-runner for what we call this series. Because Paul says, hey, you're here, and that love that you have for one another is good. You need to have that, but love one another even more piggybacking on the idea that Jesus says, hey, if someone asks you to walk a mile with them, walk with them too. If they ask for your cloak, give them your shirt. They slap you on one cheek, go ahead and turn the other cheek. Love one another even more. The question I have to think for myself is, what has God himself taught me? Or what has God himself taught you? and your personal relationship with Jesus, with God the Father, with the Holy Spirit. What has God taught you? For the Thessalonian people, it was this deep sense of love and of longing. And remember, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12, Paul blesses them and says, and may God, may the Lord make your love for one another and for all people grow and overflow just as our love for you overflows. This idea of abundance that loving is not enough you've got to love more that then loving is not enough you've got to love more imagine what a community of people in little Keene, texas looks like as we love each other those who are seated in this space those that are watching online and maybe those who didn't make it in the door today as our love overflows for one another how that might transform our community not just us sitting here but everyone else in Johnson County and in North Texas. There's a commentator writing about this people group, and he puts it well. I, I, I couldn't rehash the words, but a guy by the name of Denny, I think it's James Denny, puts it this way in the Expositors uh, Bible, uh, talking about the epistle to the Thessalonians. The early church Christians will, were little companies of people where love was at a high temperature, Now, in Texas, we know about high temperatures, right? So let's just take our experience from the past week and say, okay, instead of heat, we're going to make it love, all right? So love was at a high temperature, where outward pressure very often tightened the inward bonds. We've talked about persecution, about the, the troubles that they've experienced, right? The outward troubles that they have had have caused them to bond even tighter, and where mutual confidence diffused continual joy. Now, let me find that community, like, let's sign up, like, let's go, let's do it, right? That sounds like one I want to be a part of, and it's one that I hope and that we as a community aspire to be at Keen Church and at Elevate, that we would be a place where the love temperature, we're breaking thermometers, not because it's summer, but because we can feel the love, where we're tightened together that no matter what happens on the outside, someone in our community this week has experienced great loss that brings us closer together And where our confidence in one another, where we can bear each other's burdens, continually diffuses joy. Some of y'all have the, the little essential oil diffuser on your desk at work or maybe at home. You know, like let's dump some confidence in there so that joy can be diffused throughout our community. Here's where the parousia comes in, the second coming of Jesus. Because this is a beautiful picture of a loving church. But Paul's got some words for this church because potentially, yeah, you've been loving each other very, very well, but your look forward has has hindered where you're walking currently. And we've got to wrestle with this one a little bit. The pending parousia, the pending advent, the coming of Jesus perhaps had become a distraction to them. And for some in this very, very loving church, they had become Paralyzed. And I think this paralysis might be too familiar to us or might be a very, very tangible reality for us because I I think there's two extremes when we look to the second coming of Jesus. There's the one that says Jesus is coming very, very soon. You need to sell everything that you have, find some land out in the country, become self-sufficient, do everything that you possibly can to get off grid and, and to prepare yourself because there's some trouble coming and we need to be ready for Jesus to come. Perhaps one extreme. The other one says, it's been 2,000 years. You know, I grew up hearing that Jesus was coming soon, and soon seems to have happened already. So, you know, I'm just going to kind of keep doing what I'm doing because that soon, I'm not sure that the church understands what soon really means. Because if soon meant soon, then it would happen, right? Wherever you find yourself on that spectrum, As my dad would often say growing up and hearing him preach, there's a ditch on either side of the road. And either place we find ourselves does not enable us to propel forward in mission and to be a group that's intrinsically and built to love our community around us. And Paul, Silas, and Timothy offer three ways that parousia paralysis, thats kind of hard to say, parousia paralysis can be healed. He lists it in the next verse, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11. He puts it this way, make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands just as we instructed before. We're going to take some time to break this down and then Paul's got one final stinger that he has for this church. But that first line, make it your goal to live a quiet life. Some of us don't struggle with this at all. You're very content. You're at home. It's peaceful. It's quiet, not out and about. And there's others of us that are bundles of energy and like, let's go be with people and and let's, you know, crank up the music. Let's, Let's get a cacophony going on. Paul says, hey, make it your goal. Make it your ambition to live a quiet life. And it's interesting how the Greek words are put together in a form that it almost could be have an ambition to have no ambitions. doesn't quite work, right? Because if you have one, then you can't have another. But there was a group of people living in Thessalonica who lived in a state of perpetual excitement that Jesus was coming and every single, people, every single person around them needed to know about them. Have you ever maybe sat next to someone, and don't look to your left or right, but have you ever sat next to someone who maybe has uh, like a nervous energy, and just because they're nervous, you start to become nervous? And maybe they're sitting behind you or in front of you, and you keep looking over like, why should I be nervous? Is there, is there something uh, I'm, I'm missing? And you start to, you know, the blood starts to pump, maybe face starts to get flushed. and you're just like, I don't know why I'm nervous, but this person is nervous, so obviously I need to be nervous. Don't look at your neighbor, please, don't do that. This group, it, it, Jesus is coming, and we've, we've got to get everything in line, and we've got to make sure ducks are in a row. And, and, and the nervousness was contagious. Caused them to, to, to be restless for themselves and restless for others. But Paul says, live a quiet life. Another way that it could be put is live in a restful way. And a lot of times in in Seventh-day Adventism, now Seventh-day is in our name, right? We talk about the Sabbath and what the Sabbath means. And for us as a collective, it's been a, a day of worship that we come together. But the Sabbath is that, yes, but it's so much more. It's a weekly reminder that we can't do it on our own. That we need to rest. That we need to slow down. That my value is not made in what I can produce during the week. My value comes through Jesus breathing rest into my soul. That's why we take a 24-hour sundown Friday to sundown Sabbath to set everything aside and we could ask everyone in this room what your Sabbath looks like and it's going to be different for each and every one of us. No judgment, whatever extreme that you're on, but the important thing is to remember that the Sabbath is more than just a communal gathering. It's a communal resting that we can step through the doors and leave the baggage of the week outside and say, no, this is a space where I come to rest. And we're propelled into the coming week, then working from rest, not working for rest. The author of Hebrews puts it this way. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following the example of disobedience. Work hard to rest well. That's what the author of Hebrews says. Have the ambition that Sabbath is more than just a day. It is a day. There's significance to that that we set aside the seventh day every week. But it should well inside of us a lifestyle that's filled with peace and stability. How many of us could use some peace and stability this morning, amen? You don't have to raise your hand. It's okay, it's okay. The second thing, and Paul tells this group of people, yes, live a quiet life, but he continues on in verse uh, 11. He says, mind your own business. And some of us, again, there's two ditches, two extremes. Some of us wrestle with this. Others of us don't. There's a group of people in Thessalonica that had to become busybodies. People going around, looking at each other's business, saying, are you ready for Jesus coming? Do you have your life in order?" room? Mm, I saw where you were walking the other night you're not going to be ready. You're not going to be ready. Sometimes our look at Jesus' second coming can enable us to then meddle in other people's lives. And we dig around in the details and, and as Jesus put in one of his parables, we're so worried about the speck in our brother or sister's eyes, but we're forgetting that there's a log in our own. Paul, Silas, and Timothy says, you need to have a singular focus. And that's, it comes back to here. Don't worry about your neighbor. Don't meddle in their business or, or, or worry about them. Yeah, care for them. But your business is your business and their business is their business. We are responsible for ourselves, for a our family, to the extent that God has given us the ability to care for them. And past that, gotta let some people go. We gotta let others make their own decisions, always accepting and love and bringing back into the fold in the community. But if we have a check at the door every time you go in, where it's a checklist of, of where have you been this week and what your business been up to, I think we've fallen short of our calling. A third thing that Paul points out in verse 11, Paul Silas and Timothy. It says, work with your hands, just as we instructed you before. Remember, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul says, I didn't want to be a burden on you, and so I worked hard so that there was no misunderstanding here that I'm not bringing the gospel here for an exchange of money. No, 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 no. I'm supporting myself. There's a group of people that were taking advantage of the system where everything was held in common, that they weren't pulling their own weight. He says, no, work with your hands. And I think for today's life and times, it gives, gives us the principle that we must live with purpose. A quiet, restful life where we keep our noses out of other people's business and we live with purpose. Where our hands are not idle, they become the devil's playground, but we know where we're headed, we know our mission, we know our calling, we're working with our hands for a purpose. I was just down at Lake Whitney Ranch this past week hanging out with the summer camp staff down there, just visiting for the day, um, and I was, I was talking with one of the camp staff, and they're, they're, they're one of our own. And they were telling me as so I was taking them from one place to another on a, on a little golf cart, they said, you know, this week, it all clicked. Everything came together. I, and I said, okay, you know, like, tell me a little bit more about that. And they said, you know, coming to camp... Didn't really know where I was headed. I didn't, I didn't know my purpose. I didn't know why I was here. and I didn't know what was going to happen afterwards. But this week, everything came together and God showed me my purpose. I said, praise God. Praise God. Some of us are still wrestling with that, right? What's my purpose? What am I doing in my life? If you ask God, he'll tell you. And if he doesn't tell you, he'll show you. If he doesn't show you, he'll drag you to it, kicking and screaming. Some of us can resonate with that, right? We knew it early on, and you said, no, 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 can't do that, can't do that. When we live lives with purpose, we're not resolving ourselves to sit back and say, all right, um, I got to make sure I got a roof over my head, clothes on my back, food to eat, we're going to survive the end times together, and I'm just going to wait for Jesus to come. No, 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 there are more people who need to hear about the love and the grace and the mercy of a God who sent his son to this earth to die for us so that we could experience eternal life not just a blissful eternity where we float around on clouds and and play harps, but an eternity spent in community with a God who loves and a people who love where all crying and suffering is gone and the curse is no more. There are more who need to hear about that coming space and time. And more than just the space and time, the God who's making that available for each and every one of us. Let's see, here's a, a danger that I see in this dichotomy of Jesus is coming very, very, very soon and, and, and uh, it'll be a while. Sometimes our focus on Jesus and on that second coming can cause us to shun our neighbor. But then also, we can focus on loving our neighbor so, so much that we forget about who's called us to love our neighbor. We see this perhaps play out in our country today as there are those who are standing up for social justice and saying, yes, we need to make some changes. And I believe we do as a society founded on Scripture and perhaps we've gone astray, but haven't a lot of people in this world. But me standing up for for a cause should not make me forget that there's a gospel and there's a Jesus that this world needs. But my belief in the gospel and that Jesus should not absolve me of standing up for those who maybe are oppressed or a minority or who are looked down on in our society, and we have to hold those two both together. And Paul Silas and Timothy make this abundantly clear in this passage of Scripture, because he began and says, "You loved other or you loved fellow believers well." But here's the kicker in verse 12: "You've loved other believers well." But there are other people. When you live a quiet life, when you mind your own business, and when you work with your hands, you have that singular purpose and that vision, then people who are not believers will respect the way you live, and you will not need to depend on others. Paul's holding these two people groups, these two extremes, in both hands and says, You're loving each other very, very well, but perhaps, perhaps there's another group that maybe has been neglected. And it's easy, right? When we come together with fellow believers, people that smell like us, that walk like us, that look like us, that go to the same church, it can be easy to love those because we're one of a kind, we're similar, we're, we're attracted to people that look like us, people that believe the same way, maybe go to the same schools, we eat the same food. But see, when we, when we live a Sabbath life, when we live a life that's defined by restfulness, not restlessness, when we mind our own business and when we work with our hands and follow a singular purpose, we are a witness to those who do not believe. And maybe perhaps we can let our living do the talking instead of our mouths, because sometimes our mouths get us in trouble. I I wrestle with that, so I'm pointing that back at me. I look up at the ceiling. I don't wanna make eye contact with any of you, right? But see, keeping the Sabbath as a way of life Worshiping, gathering on the seventh day and letting that go out, do your rest of the week is the biggest protest that you can make against anything in this world, against the economy, against injustice, because you're saying, hey, I'm taking a step away, I'm taking a step back and protesting the way that this world operates and standing up and saying, Jesus needs to be the way that I operate. It's a witness to those who are around us. And it's difficult sometimes to love and to connect with maybe those who have different attractions that we do, maybe different lifestyles that we do, maybe different tastes and preferences. But Paul says that we garner respect when we live the way that Jesus has called us to live. And I think then Jesus makes up all the difference. So it's my prayer for our community that the parousia, the parousia, the second coming of Jesus, the advent of the Messiah, come back to this earth to rescue us all, will encourage us to live lives of love. That we can hope in that day when all things will be made new, but that hope in the coming day will propel us this day to Sabbath well. To make sure we're looking at the log in our own eye and not the speck in our name to live with purpose and mission as Jesus calls. The question we have today as we wrestle with perusia paralysis, perhaps we can turn that into perusia potentiality. Not the greatest alliteration, but it'll work for today. I leave you with this question. How do we live a life of love in the face of the pending death?
0: Thank you so much for that amazing message, Pastor Michael. What a blessing. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Elevate Retake. Tune in later this week where Pastor Michael will sit down and just talk about this with some young Adventists and really dive a little bit deeper into this idea. Again, thank you so much for listening and supporting the ministry here at Elevate. Have a blessed week.